and I'm going to start streaming in three, two, one. Arc Almighty One, our sacrifice begins. We commence. Spellberg, a podcast about the Dungeon Crawl Classics role-playing game. It's time to party like it's 1974. All right, welcome to the Spellburn DCC Days live episode. For those listening on your podcatchers, this was a very special live episode where we are answering emails in addition to any questions anybody wants to ask us on Twitch. Uh, I am Judge Jeff. And with me this early morning are Judge Julian. Hello. Judge Jen. Good morning. <laughs> and from the land of Seattle, where it is currently 8 a.m., uh, Hectophonic himself, Judge Hector Cruz. Hey, everybody. I will stop complaining. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and we're going to head on over to the tavern. Do, 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 do. This is where you'd normally hear the tavern talk bumper. Tavern talk. Tavern talk. Uh, so here we are in the tavern. Uh, so I will go ahead and start our little tavern talk discussion today. Uh, since our last episode, I have been in two sessions of Brendan LaSalle's Blades Against Bandwidth. We uh, wrapped up our our dive into the one who watches from below. And we have also since ransacked the castle of the queen of Elfland's son and basically murdered everyone in Elfland and then uh, shut up the portal between here and Elfland. So it was a very productive dive into Elfland. And how did Val feel about that? How did Val's cleric feel about that? She was actually pretty down. I mean... In, in fairness, Justithia okay. and the chaotic forces of Elfland are usually at odds with one another. That's fair. I mean, how how did it get so murderous in the uh, Elfland, Jeff? I can't imagine how that could have happened. Well, what happened is we went in trying to parlay with diplomacy uh, and, and, and talk it through. And since they wouldn't do that, we decided to parlay by force. Mm, yes. Did it, was there a, an extremely kind of sociopathic antisocial dwarf involved in any of that? There might have been in our very last session, our most recent session. We were joined by Judge Julian himself. Da, da, da. That, that a little typecast. <laughs> <laughs> yep, playing Brank, and uh, so. Uh, oh, you got my my leftovers. <laughs> you did, and. Uh, uh, Julian, would you like to let Jen know what happened with your leftovers? I cast your leftovers to the side. They uh, Brank is no more. Although I did, I did. Oh, we don't have nice things, do we? <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's true. But I, I don't like dwarves that much anyway. So I, I was playing him to the hilt, and uh, actually, I was having a very good time playing him, cannonballing through, you know, lines of elven guards and uh, striking out to against the prince and so on. But uh, yeah, I, I actually uh, took down uh, Dak's fighter with the axe with my axe named Ultimac, which mm -hmm. that that was kind of a highlight of the game. Um, 
but then, uh, okay, yeah. yeah, but finally I got completely massacred at the end. It was, uh, it was very unfortunate. That's awesome. Cool. And I was also in one session of Sean Kelly's Mothership, which is being streamed Ooh. on the Gaming and BS uh, Twitch channel. And I started my first session of a game that I have a weekly uh, Dungeons and Dragons OSE game that I am now running uh, with seven of my buddies. And that was really fun. It is set in the city state of the Invincible Overlord. Uh, but right now we are very, very south on map one in a small town called Goblin Hill. And uh, what did we do? Um, basically, the they, they gathered together to start an adventurers club. And immediately the president of the adventurers club uh, died uh, while just trying to find some cute lizards to collect. Um, and then we spent some time hanging out with sex workers down by the lake trying to find a succubus because they needed to collect her gasp uh, for an evil wizard. It was good times. Like you do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Julian, what have you been up to other than murdering Jen's dwarf? Oh, yeah, that was a good that was a good time. Um, yeah, so I was I, on Blades. I got it from Mike Evans. It's fine. Yeah, <laughs> exactly right. It was a, that was a good Blades Against bandwidth. I had a, I had a blast playing with those guys. Um, but otherwise, I've been just running tons and tons of games. I ran uh, three games for North Texas RPG and uh, ran so far run three for DCC days, and I have two more coming up today been doing a lot of dying earth play tests including my first runs at uh, terry olson's adventure the tower of the sanguine slant so i've run that twice this week and uh, that's it's really uh, crazy and fun so we've been uh, doing that tim deshane is also running it for dcc days so we've had a little comparing notes and back and forth with tim and terry and uh, so that it's been really fun i also ran creep scrag creep for the first time mm. uh once in advance of the con and once for the con yesterday, uh, Thursday and uh, had a blast with that. That's, that's a super, uh, super crazy open-ended and truly a horror adventure because there's not a, much of an easy way out. Spoiler alert, spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> yeah, just to, just having a blast running games and right in the middle of, uh, should I be prepping? Should I be prepping? Should I be prepping right now? Should I be going through my notes again? Should I be prepping? So that's where I'm at. Very cool. And Jen, what have you been up to? Um, let's see. Shortly after we recorded last, um, I got to take place in a funnel tournament that Arimati Pipo was running uh, as part of his seven days of gaming. Uh, Arimati being in Finland, I believe. Um, so that that ended up being a, a lot of more fun than we should have been allowed. Um, and other than that, uh, gearing up for a new campaign with Andy Markham. Uh, we're going to be going through the Shutter Mountains, so we're super excited about that. Um, and just prepping for DCC days, uh, I ran a, a I did a dry run on Tuesday night of the Empire of the East funnel that I'm running because it's been forever since I've run a funnel and um, yeah spoiler alert it's written by Harley Stroh so um, expect overwhelming odds and it's also written as zero level to first so I'm trying out the first level part of it uh, later tonight um, I also ran. Uh, my DCC Lankmar uh, 
sandboxy scenario, uh, the Clutchite Treasure. Uh, that was what yesterday? No, Thursday. It when we get to little conventions like this, it all becomes just this four day blur. So we're on day three now, right? Okay. Yeah, I actually got to play uh, the Shutter Mountain sandbox with Mike Curtis yesterday. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. And cool. I'm looking forward to the game with Andy, but honestly, to have the person that created this setting run this stuff and kind of off top of his head, yeah, that was that was an experience. I, I enjoyed it greatly. That's and awesome. After this, I go play Hubris. Ooh. Yeah, with Sarah. Oh, nice. Yeah. And Hector, what kind of gaming have you been up to in these past few weeks? Oh, boy. Um, been running some stuff. Uh, ran some stuff for Cyclops uh, Con, so that was fun. And Con of Champions. Um, it's funny, you know, uh, I haven't run ever since, you know, all of this has, has gone down and everything is going online. I haven't run this much stuff. I don't think ever like after this weekend, (laughs) seriously, like I think after this weekend, I will be up to 10 games on the road crew. And that's been like within like two months. So that's great. So, yeah, Um, I got to play in um, Bruce Cunnington's Tower Out of Time. That was really cool. Never played with him before. Um, And Mike Bollum's Lankmar Rats of Ithmar. I'm saying that Ilfmar. Ilfmar. Yeah. So, so that was really cool. Did you um, do that on uh, Roll20 or was it just in Zoom? That was on Roll20. Yeah. Nice. So you got all the new painted pieces and bits and yeah. It was oh. really cool. Yeah. The maps and, yeah, and the little tokens. Yeah. It was, it, it was really mm-hmm. nice. Um, and then other than that, um, yeah, just um, running stuff and I'm playing or I'm running something today, um, MCC and um, not playing very much. <laughs> I'm kind of taking it easy. So, so Hector, um, just so that folks here know who you are, if they mm-hmm. don't, anybody who's watching this or listening to this, Hector um, has done some audio, um, some audio production for us in the past and he is an audio producer. So if you were looking for anybody uh, to do your, um, your, your, your podcast or your, your dream album. Uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> Reach out to Hector and Hector Fonda Productions. Uh, but Hector, tell us a little bit about your uh, about what you do in general uh, in kind of the DCC sphere. Oh boy, in the DCC sphere, yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, like Jeff was saying, I'm kind of the wizard of audio magic behind Globern. Um, been doing that for a couple of years. I love it. Love um, Bill and Jeff and. Forrester Mark. Um, as far as DCC realm, um, I mean, like, you know, like I said, I have, I haven't really run that many games. Like, you know, I've run like maybe three or four a year. And, you know, and this year I got to finally really dive into it. So, um, but I'm a huge DC fan, a huge DCC fan. Um, you know, I've been a DCC band member since 2016. Yeah. Um, so I wish it was before, you know, I wish I was with you cool kids who did it way back in 2012 <laughs> and 2011. Um, but that's okay. You know, barely, barely than never. Um, yeah. I'm yeah, definitely not a 2011er. I'm like a 12 or 13, I think 12, but not an oh, 11. 12 was when it first hit free RPG day. Hmm. I started late twelve, early thirteen. So, uh, so Hector, man, 
I've got this band Cypress Wind, and we're all like about 1980s kind of psychedelic space rock, but with like a heavy metal thing. I think we're just we're gonna blow up. We're gonna go huge, man. I just need like a hundred hours of studio time. Can you set me up, man? Because I just I just need a producer, and I know we could be like the next Beyonce. I mean, <laughs> and also we don't need to pay you because the exposure mm-hmm. that you get from our band getting so big is basically oh, yeah. payment in and of right? itself, right? right? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'll get with you later because I just I don't want you to miss this opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to post that all over my resume. All right. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, it's on. It's on. And real quick, before we leave Tavern Talk, there's one other thing I want to tell you guys about. I was thinking about this while you guys were chatting, which is that the real life Hugh and Shanna also had their own battle with the mythos creatures in the last two weeks. You know how cats love to show off their little buttholes? At one point, Shanna was in front of my screen, turned around, and there were these little pale Lovecraftian tendrils coming out of her butthole. Turned out my kitties had worms. Dude, it was so gross and scary. Thankfully, it's been taken care of. Well, (laughs) it's Hugh and Shanna. That's DCC. They're fighting Lovecraftian mythos creatures. Uh, (laughs) But the good news is they're good now and they're happy and worm free. I'm only okay with this if you bring it up on your show, too. (laughs) We're we're sending you to Miskatonic University for this one. (laughs) And with that, we're going to head on over to Summon Email. Oh, Summon Email. Summon Email. I think you keep those bumpers for this episode. Oh, I think so, too. Absolutely. (laughs) So here we are in Summon Email. And we're just going to go through and read a bunch of emails. Also, if there's anybody in the Twitch stream who's watching this and would like to send us any kind of a message or a question in the Twitch chat, by all means, do it. We will be monitoring that and answering any of those questions as they come up. So here I've got a um, a Hue D4, and I'm going to roll to see who's going to take our first question. That's a four. That's Jen. Hi. So Jen, go ahead and take our first email. That. Uh, it's not even ironic. Um, literally, our show notes say inbox overflow. So <laughs> we're gonna reach back to January. Maybe <laughs> start clearing some of this crap out because I don't have room for any more. <laughs> uh, this one comes to us from Tony Hogard. Greeting, greetings, burnt ones. In the latest episode. number 89, Uh, you had an interesting mini discussion about blending settings and genres in DCC. That's something I've been ruminating over myself lately, as there are so, so many great flavors of the game that people are putting out. In that spirit, here's a question I'd like to hear your take on. The Druid has been a class in old school and OSR games for some time, and a common feature of that class has been the restriction on metal weapons and armor. Usually wood or bone items are noted as okay. However, what about the space druids exploring new aspects of nature on different planets? What unnatural materials are prohibited? If native animals and plants are made of living metal, for example, are their remains natural products or not? What's a good general rule? <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, thanks, Tony. That, that, yep, that's a heck of a question. Uh, not it. <laughs> I appreciate Tony's specificity in this question. Um, so what, <laughs> what materials should be prohibited for the space druid? Um, 
perhaps analog materials. Julian. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> what do you think, Julian? Uh, I, you know, I've played, I've done variants of um, druids, like evil. I used to call them the Iron Druids, who were like the evil guys doing human sacrifice and being sort of anti, you know, more uh, actively anti-social, anti-human than just regular old run-of-the-mill uh, tree worshippers. And um, I'm all for druid variants. I, I would say space druids, um, you could friggin' play it a billion ways. I don't see them having any compunctions about wearing metal armor, but it might have to be um, symbiotic uh, metal creature armor versus metal creatures that you would kill and take their armor. Um, or perhaps they would die and leave you their armor or something like that. If they're in touch with the flow of nature, you would have to sort of acquire it by natural means versus, um, you know, like ex strip mining a planet to get all its its metal creatures and take their armor type stuff. Um, I don't know. Off the cuff, that's where I'm going. I like so it. That, to that point, bone items would be the remains of dead creatures on their own land. So, yeah, I, I think that would be okay as long as you're not the one that killed it. Yeah. There, you know, there aren't any bad answers as long as it's shocking and as long as it sort of kind of has a vague internal coherence. Hector, do you have anything you would like to add to this? Oh, man. My brain's not braining. Um, natural <laughs> materials that are prohibited. Holy cow. Um, I guess, like... Any type of asteroid, like symbiotic space rock. I mean, um, you know, you probably don't want anything like that. Um, let's see. Well, there's a really weird repercussion. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, it starts to slowly, like, you know, take over your armor and, you know, climb up your face and, you know, just become a part of you. Um, yeah, I've, I've, I've played Druids before, but they've always been more of the kind of hippie kind of, you know, nice version i haven't really played any space druids i love to play a space druid though that sounds cool as hell yeah, um, yeah. you know have, have have some like you know tribbles or you know little, little you know little space furry creatures like at your whim just throw them at people yeah have um, put space in front of the name of any class i want to play the space hot dog suit i want to <laughs> play the space paladin uh but this is awesome let's go on head on over to our next email and this one's also jen <laughs> Jen has to read two in a row. <laughs> All right, I'm I'm gonna log out and come back in. Or actually, <laughs> <make> some... <laughs> then, he, then he has to switch numbers on the die, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, still in January. Uh, this is from, and I quote. Big Al's Party Shack. <laughs> hey, Burners, Judge Al here from the great state of Oklahoma. I recently made the mistake we all do uh, and set about writing down my own setting, a strange mix of retro, or, I'm sorry, Metro, 2033, 2034, First of the North Star, the film Death Machine, and the Mad God animated film. With all the surviving in a world that would like you very dead and preferably eaten. I wanted a way to make all uh, carrying all the things you need to survive slightly more of a problem than using a dreaded and an usually ignored carrying weight rule. Instead, I formulated a simple ruling I wanted your opinion on. 
Uh, if combat starts and you're wearing a loaded pack, you roll initiative at minus one die. If you attack while wearing a loaded pack, the awkward weight forces a minus one die. You can immediately discard your pack with a standard action and fight normally, leaving you only with what you're carrying on your person, but you do provoke an attack if in combat. Once you've your pack is removed. You're left with only what's on your person. Need an extra magazine for that rifle or a healing syringe for your friend? Oh, you toss the rucksack in a place you can get too fast. Um, from my take, I mean, you're already at a minus one die if you're fighting with a two-handed weapon. Uh, the loaded pack thing, I, it totally depends because then you're going to be forced to nitpick and scrutinize okay well i've got this flask of oil on my belt i've got this potion over here on my belt on this side i've got this and this and you know my thieves tools are actually in a uh, the pack that's part of the belt over here and i've got if i wanted to do that i'd be playing world of warcraft <laughs> i mean it, it's annoying in any game to me uh so all of all of that i mean that's like tracking days of rations how how into it do you really want to get um i think the minus one die if you're fighting two-handed is probably enough of a detriment but that's just me because i want to keep the action going what about you guys yeah i mean i agree um al judge al that this is a simpler system than perhaps writing down weights and tallying them up and then seeing what threshold you get past depending mm -hmm. on what your strength is things like that, that's way fiddlier than what you're proposing. Uh, but what I would say is, you know, Jen was bringing up the D16 initiative for two-headed weapons. Enough people forget to do that, that I think if you also add a D16 initiative or, or D14, if you're wearing a pack and you have a two-headed weapon, people are going to forget that as well. Um, so I think it's definitely a simpler suggestion than perhaps going full 3.5 with your encumbrance system. But I think it is also um, probably more fiddly than I think some people are going to want to deal with. I, I appreciate the desire, and I've not yet encountered something that I think really properly handles this yet. Uh, one thing I like to know from my players is, what can I assume you're always, if, if I'm asking you to roll initiative, what can I assume is always in your left hand and your right hand? Um, unless you've specifically told me differently, then I'm going to have this this core assumption of this is what what you have and everything else is kind of stashed away. I don't know, um, Julian. What do you think? You know, my, when I was used to play uh, Lamentations with uh, my old buddy Charlie Guild several years back, he uh, I think I can't remember if this is the core Lamentations system, but or he took it from somewhere else. But he had just had slots, and you had like I don't know eight slots, and you could have more slots if you had a high strength and fewer if you had a low strength, but you just had eight slots. And it, whether it was a candles or a weapon, even though there's a pretty big weight differential, you didn't really worry about that. And uh, you just had eight things you could carry around. And uh, that's a really, you know, it's not especially realistic, but it does kind of account for bulk, even though things weigh differently and, and that kind of stuff. It sort of averages out in a sensible way, probably. And I thought that's it was an elegant way that's easy to understand a track, and you just have stuff written down, and that's it. And so I would say um, that's the, that I think is a really elegant way, and, and actually you could use it in addition to what um, Big Al's describing there, um, in, in place of or complementing that or whatever. But that's about as detailed as I get. 
I like it. Hector, what do you think? So, yeah, you know, kind of what Jen was saying, I probably wouldn't pay that much attention to this. But if I were, uh, maybe I would do something like, you know, if you have a heavy pack and if you were going to do like a reflex type of save, like maybe, you know, you would have a minus one die for that. Or if you're trying to have some type of movement, then that it would inhibit that. I'd probably play it that way um, instead of just, you know, a, a straight up attack. Perfect. And I'm going to go ahead and set the D4 to the side and we can just go around clockwise based on how people show up on the screen. So um, Hector, do you want to go ahead and take this next email? Sure. Uh, so this is from Judge Tim. Hello, esteemed fellow cultist of the Dark Lord. I have a campaign that I run off, uh, run off and on with friends. Its current name is Pillar City Flies. It takes place in a city in the center of an apparently infinitely tall pillar. The city is a mix of every fantasy and modern city in history. The city is a massive hodgepodge of architecture, mundane and fantastic. A mix of magic and technology um, suffuses the city. Uh, it is not uncommon to see a wizard on one street corner and a cyborg on another. Yeah. Yeah, I like it. Uh, I run it as a mix of films uh, such as Death Wish and classic swords and sorcery fantasy. The players have fought uh, cults de uh, dedicated to the god of debts, debts and loans, street <laughs> gangs selling purple lotus powder, um, challenged the church or challenged the church of the holy roller uh, to a round of bowling. Um, <laughs> the rain comes down on the intersection of Skull Boulevard and Dagger Street. A skeleton plays a lonely jazz saxophone in the flickering neon sign of the Rogers Lounge, the local undead strip club. A beetle, a beetle uh, cab scurries past, splashing your warm boots with a mixture of rainwater and rotting sandwich wrappers. That was, that was in quotes. <laughs> I did forget to add the biggest thing I put together for the setting as a patron, uh, the Grand Council of Necropimps. <laughs> um, Seven-inch Mac daddies that bound their minds and souls together. Only the mightiest and shrewdest street hustlers ever hear their dark wisdom. In a cloud of purple lotus smoke, it is said that one can hear their words. They, uh, they often will reach out to the heroes when they cannot take the skeletal hand directly in the affairs of mortal pimps. <laughs> did, I, did I hear that? Seven lich mac daddies. Yes. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> um, I'm like, okay, so what was the question? <laughs> I don't think there is one. I think he's just letting us know about this cool campaign setting. And I'm pretty okay. sure at some point we did specifically say, hey, if you've got some cool yeah. campaign yeah. setting you're working with, yeah, let absolutely. us know about it. So yeah. I'm pretty sure this is in reference to that. But yeah, this is very fun. That's um, awesome. Undead Strip Club is really the only thing that bothers me. And I say this prefaced with the statement that I grew up in Vegas. That, <laughs> that bothers me. Just like I wonder how the strip clubs are operating now during the, the lockdowns. Um. <laughs> but it's great, though, because you think you think stripping down to the naked flesh is as far as you can go. The undead strippers show you, no, you can go much further than that. I, I, <laughs> you can go down to the bone. Let's oh get my some God. in here. Let's see it all. Check, please. <laughs> yeah, right. Next. <laughs> I, I, I do really like the, uh, actually, the, this, that whole email is full of really cool stuff, but I think my favorite part is that it, it, it's on an infinite pillar. I would really, I want to see that, what that map looks like, even if it's just kind of a crappy sketch match map done by the players or something. <laughs> it sounds really cool. Yeah, it does. It's very cool. 
All right. Next up from uh, February, we've got an email from somebody named Harrison. Uh, It says, hello, you mentioned in the most recent Spellburn that you wanted to hear about people's campaigns. I think I have a rather unique perspective that might be insightful to some people, mainly due to most of my DCC campaigns taking place as an entertainment thing or actual plays. You also mentioned me coming on the show at some point. I accept. (laughs) So if you'd like to have me on, I'd be happy to. I love your podcast. I could talk about what I learned from running actual plays, etc. Cheers, Harrison. Harrison, I think that's a great idea. We would love to have you on the show sometime. Um, and perhaps you can also um, be on uh, my my weekly Dungeons and Dragons game as well. Um, oh, wait, the, both of those things have already happened. So Harrison, hello from the future. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you've been on the show and it's been great getting to know you. You're, you're, wait, you're wait, we gotta, Jen and Jeff, we gotta go back in the past and invite Harrison to be on the show. <laughs> I mean, just in case he's developed a case of amnesia, we're we're just reminding him of what's happened in his life. <laughs> exactly, Harrison. This is your life. Uh, hello, hello, Harrison. Hello. Please see episode ninety-three. Right. It, it was it was uh, aces to have you on the show, and uh, all the best. We promised him we wouldn't try to affect the accent. Oh, I forgot. Yeah. 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 <laughs> And if you ever get to meet Harrison, ask him to do his fantastic American accent. It oh, is yes. Uncanny. Or, or listen, to the, listen to the America um, episode of uh, the first wave of his, his actual the live play. That's the, that's the one. So, Julian, do you want to take this next email? Sure. So um, now, that, now that Jen's gotten the big ones out of the way, thank you, Jen. Uh, now <laughs> we enter the, the coasting uh, phase here. So uh, it looks like this is from Ben, or Judge Ben. Uh, Hello, the band. I found a few people at my work who are interested in trying out DCC. Since we're at work, we'd have to compress everything into our lunch hour. I have run a couple uh, funnels with others, but always in four to six hour sessions. Do you have any tips for running the game in one hour sessions? Mm, That's interesting. I only have one idea, which I use in in my own uh, regular campaign I'm doing right now, which is Try to do as much stupid stuff, um, you know, kind of uh, character stuff and long-term things and stuff that you don't have to play out. Try to buy and sell and do all that crap via email if possible. And if you can kind of get all the bookkeeping into that time frame, then you can really, you know, make your hour about the real-time, you know, dungeon delving or, you know, uh, in, invading the lair of the necropimps or whatever it is that you guys are doing. <laughs> and, uh, you know... Keep it, you know, really try to maximize that time as much as possible by offloading other things. And you might try like the downtime and carousing things to try to speed some of that up, uh, you know, or the, or the, uh, somebody, there's tables out there that like, if you're leaving the dungeon and you don't have time to play the whole uh, getting out of the dungeon, there's tables you can roll in to see, you know, how many hit points of damage you take or how many torches you lose or whatever, like that kind of stuff too. That's a really good idea. I like the idea of... Mm-hmm doing all the bookkeeping off the table. I, I like that a lot, actually. Um, I, I would add maybe um, and take a page out of Harley Stroh's book. I know that he runs, uh, used to run like after school for the kids, like once a week. And they would only have an hour to 90 minutes. So like in Sailors, it would be 
just the scene from the beach getting to the ziggurat. And then the next session would be on the ziggurat. So take it in little chunks like that. That way nobody feels rushed. If you don't spend the entire hour in the combat and whatever, uh, then you can do some of the more flavor stuff or the accounting or whatever. Uh, But that way nobody feels rushed or left out. Hector, do you have any suggestions? Uh, Yeah, going off of um, what those two said. um, Yeah, definitely keep it like, keep it episode-ish, you know, um, keep, 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 keep the action, like simple, like, you know, like think of a show, um, where, you know, you're only doing one certain thing, like, you know, oh, we have to go to X, we have to go to this, this certain cave, you know, and, and, and check that out. Um, yeah, definitely as simple as possible. And yeah, and going, um, what Julian said, I do love that idea of keeping the book, keeping them um, offline. You could even, um, I know people used to do RPGs by mail, um, you know, and you could do like an email thing. You could be like, hey, my character, you know, did this while while we were, you know, in town. And, you know, I bought some of this and I talked to this barkeep yeah. and all that type of stuff. So you could try something like, like that. Play by post, yeah. 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 People, I just want to say this. People used to play chess by mail. Wow. <laughs> Snail mail. Think wow. about it. I'm old. I'm 100 <laughs> years old today. Okay. <laughs> Um, and I would just add, you know, I've, I've never played sessions that short, but I'd also say since they're on lunch breaks, the one hour session is probably more realistically like a 40 minute session. Um, but yeah, I think I, especially if you guys have the bandwidth to kind of deal with some of the kind of record keeping and session planning offline, then I think you can have really concise and fun little 40 minute sessions. I think that actually sounds like a really fun way to spend a lunch break. Yeah, rock it out. Get the rest of your lunchroom into it too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Tables. But is is this is this adventure gluten free? <laughs> I don't know. The whole thing about keeping it episodic, I would just recommend against Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> then you're gonna pause like a third of the way through the combat. No. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's a good point. It's a good point. It's Saturday morning cartoons. Come on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, Jen. So you've got a short one here. So actually, let's have you do the one after that. I'm kidding. Yeah, yeah. I want to hear more, Jen. Come on. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. You can take the short one, Jen. The, this one comes from John Williams. With all of the hacks and mods or different flavors of DCC that are out there. I'm wondering if there's one where magic and magic items are more common. Um, it's a good question because the whole thing about DCC is where everything's kind of rare, right? Oh, 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 what? oh, I got one. I got one. What? Dying earth. Almost all characters have magic. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, the, oh, yeah, there's there's um, four classes, and um, even the Vat Things, the magicians obviously cast spells. Uh, the Vat Things also have limited amount of spells and can invoke their creators. And the Witch, of course, has all kinds of mag- different magic, different kinds of magic, semi-clerical, semi-wizardly. Uh, and, uh, yeah, Dying Earth is, is kind, and, right. kind of high magic. I, I wouldn't yeah. – uh, not high fantasy – but quite a bit of magic. And Ion Stones. And Ion Stones. And 
I would also add that if you're just running a campaign of just uh, Goodman Games published materials, your characters are going to end up with way more magic items than the core book suggests (laughs) there actually should be. (laughs) So I think there's one of those like, how much magic? How, how much magic items are supposed to be in it based on how you read the core book versus how many magic items actually end up in it in your campaign based on the published games you're running, and especially if you are um, if you're running actual like AD and D or BX adventures for your DCC games, you're going to end up with a lot more magic items, um, which is fine in my opinion. If you pick up uh, like Chaos Rising, I want to say there's what seven modules in that. And only one that I can think of doesn't have a magic weapon. Yeah. Mine, uh, mine don't. But I always I give away vehicles. You know? <laughs> no, and that's really cool, actually. I mean, uh, I don't know why that is. I'm obsessed. It's maybe my lack of a driver's license because it finds expression, and uh, I don't know. Anyway, uh, in things like real fairies wear boots. Mm-hmm. Uh, how prevalent is magic in your stuff? Oh man! I mean, I ask this as someone who hasn't gotten to sit in on your games yet. <laughs> oh, I know. I'd love for you to be in that game. Um, yeah, since those are the kids from the you know the '80s D and D cartoon, you know they're all they have all their artifacts. Um, which I'm glad you said that because that that was going to be part of my answer. Um, you know, make stuff otherworldly, like you know have ha- have stuff that they find that is not from Aerith. Um, you know, there's so much. There's so many story little plot hooks that, that you could throw in there. Um, but yeah, but but uh, going back to when Fairy... Um, oh my gosh, I can't even talk. Um, when Fairy Dragons wear boots. Um, yeah, um, I mean, it, that's definitely all magic. I mean, they're, they're normal kids, you know, and Hank has his bow and Eric has his shield and, you know, Sheila has a cloak and, and all that good stuff. So, um, but other than that, you know, they're, they're just kids. And, you know, if you want to make it even a little more rare... Um, I know you're saying you want to make it more common, but make it tougher. Um, you know, have sometimes maybe these artifacts or these magic items won't work. Like sometimes you 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 may you know be in a fight, um, and you may have used it a lot, like in the past week, and all of a sudden you know, you could throw an artifact check in there. You know, take some from NCC and throw it in that. Um, oh, you know, I can't use this because blah 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 blah. So. Totally. And one thing that I would also add, which isn't quite answering John's question, but I think uh, is part of this conversation we're having, is if you are going to be including things like plus one swords uh, from other modules uh, that are not Dungeon Call Classic specific into your campaign, make them interesting. That's how you make make a DCC. Even if it's as simple as like opening up something like the Tome of Adventure Design and rolling a percentile on um, on a um, a villain's uh, motivation mm-hmm. and adding that to the sword is something that can be a really fun way of making that sword more interesting. So we have a message. We have a question from the Twitch stream. Um, Periapathetic Peri- JG says, is that a cat or a tentacle in front of Julian? This is like Nico is having a love explosion right now. She all she wants to do is sit in my lap, eat my microphone cord, and uh, she's going completely bonkers for Spellburn right now. Oh, and especially, God. it has a it has a little it has a little thing here 
with the blinking button. Mm. And uh, that looks like movement to her, I think. She's really <laughs> super into this thing. So, uh, <laughs> but so far, I haven't, uh, no non Euclidean incursions in the butt area, I'm happy to say. So, <laughs> Good. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Uh, yes. All right. Do you want me to hop on the next one to, to save Hector? It's up to you. Yes. Uh, from Judge Megagoon. Yes, Hail please. to you or in, oh, incinerators of the Arcana. A few months ago, I got frustrated with how little time I had for gaming. I started hunting for ways to make my game faster and easier to plan, which led to a deep delve into the OSR. Of all the glittering treasures I discovered, few hypnotized me as intensely as DCC RPG. The Gonzo modules, over-the-top metalhead art, and irreverent approach to rules design brought me back to my days as a kid playing BD&D. I think he meant AD&D. Uh, inspired by ELP album art. I think BD&D means basic Basic. Uh, as opposed to OX. Okay, sorry. Uh, trying to read fast. I bought DCC uh, mid-January, and I'm already... Uh, this would be... Uh, two months later, uh, running two campaigns and playing in a third. I've hungry, hungrily consumed about 50 episodes of Spellburn and loved every minute of it. My one-year-old now claps excitedly every time he hears strains of Abaca playing on my phone. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> my crawl into the dark heart of the OSR also inspired me to join some online gaming groups and write out and publish some of my creations. I already have my first writing credit and check, Bonus. After sharing one of my custom DCC monsters with a zine project that I ran across online, I'm all uh, now working on writing up some of the adventures that I've created for my group's modules. And I was wondering if you could give me some advice on playtesting. First, what are some of the good places to find DCC playtesters other than Roll20 and the Dungeon Crawler's Discord channel? Is it considered poor form to playtest your own material as a road crew event? Secondly, and more, most importantly, what are your most powerful questions to ask or answer when getting feedback on modules and other game material? May the spells that you burn keep you warm through the night. Wow, super good questions. Yeah, Hector, this one seems like this is pretty suited to you, and I feel like I see you uh, very excitedly <laughs> shaking your head. So do you want to go ahead and take this first? Yes. Um, so, yeah, definitely play test your stuff for Roku events. That's mostly what I've done. Um, I have a, an adventure module that... Um, I'm hoping to get uh, done by later this year uh, called Encroachment of Doom's Crawl Keep. And yay! Um, yay! And it's been fantastic. Yes, please just run it online. Um, I've probably run like 10 sessions so far, and you will find um, just so much good information. Like it'll be different every single time, and your players will mm -hmm. definitely <laughs> challenge you. Um, and he was asking how you find players other than Discord. Uh, where do you find your players? Oh, for playtesters, uh, yeah. For for, for playtesting, um, mm -hmm. I mean, I've mostly found mine off of the DCC um, rocks um, off of Facebook. Um, that's mostly where I found mine. Um, mostly just because where that's where I've hung out. Um, yeah, Discord, Roll Twenty, yeah, conventions um, like DCC days. Yeah, yeah, conventions. So, so oh, definitely. Uh, you you know, if you're trying to build a stable of folks to game with and to playtest your stuff, absolutely run games at cons, whether virtual or physical. Hopefully, eventually again, and get their email. You know, invite them at the end of your game to be in touch and collect emails and contact info, and then you know, put build your distribution list. And after a couple of years of that, you have a pretty good list. 
Uh, you know, that I've connected with a lot of local gamers in person games here. And, and since the virtual era, now I've got a list of good 30, 40 people for virtual games. And uh, But you got to put the work in up front at the cons to kind of get the seeds out there. And then it starts to kind of pick up and grow. And a little thing like offering to include their name with playtesting credits makes a huge difference. Oh, yes. It also gets people really excited about being a playtester. Yes. And people who've given you good feedback, ask them to playtest next time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and by asking them to playtest next time, maybe that means giving them your draft and having them be the one to run it. I know that uh, Stephen Newton, Thick Skull Adventures, is really, really big on having other people playtest his stuff. He used to ask me to record my sessions so he could get every nuance of feedback from the players. Hmm. No, and, no, no question. That's the best way to go. For well, sure. yeah, because you can run your own stuff time and time again. You know where things are. And even if somebody throws you for a loop like Hector, mm-hmm. oh, they're taking this one backwards. Okay. But you still know what's there. How is another judge going to react to this if players throw them for that same loop? What do you need to include as a caveat or a sidebar in your module? Yeah, so, and, and, and trade things. Trade those favors too, right? So if if, if yeah. Stephen had asked me to playtest something for him, uh, you know, Stephen will certainly um, a year later or six months later, when I'm in the same position, he'll run my game once, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, or maybe even more than once if he had to, if he could put it together, he had the luxury of that. But I mean, so really kind of, you get that kind of network of people who you stop owing each other favors because you've just done them back and forth so many times. And then they, they're, they jump in and be good citizens and try to help people out and do the right stuff. So you build those communities. Totally. But there are people who are willing, who actually would, are interested in that. If you ask 10 or 20 DCC players online, you probably get a one or two hits. I mean, absolutely. Um, you know, so yeah, there's people who are interested and GMs who run a different judges playtest material, get a playtest credit too. Bob, obviously, mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And the last bit that we haven't quite addressed yet is he was also asking if there are specific questions that are good to ask the players to get good feedback on your adventure. Do you guys mm-hmm. have any experience with like what questions you think are especially useful for me? I would start with a simple what worked what worked for you and what didn't work for you yep. i mean something nice and broad like that right as soon as the session is over and ask like as soon as it's over too while it's fresh in everybody's minds but other than kind of that really broad kind of catch-all do you guys have anything kind of more specific that you think is helpful what was your favorite part Ooh, that's great yeah yeah what was your favorite part what part turned you off yeah, you know, yeah. was there anything that you know could i have improved the intro Mm-hmm. Did something not make sense? Right. I, I would also zero in on when I was doing Terry's uh, adventure. Um, there was a part that there's two parts that didn't really work the way we expected, and you know you could got you could go zero in on hey you know the, we thought you were going to do this but you didn't do it so you know what what why didn't you make that connection or why, you know, just kind of go right after a, a given right. point and say, Hey, when you got in this room and you saw X, Y, Z, we kind of thought you're going to go and get the clue to do this, but you didn't do it. What were you missing here? You know, don't, you can go right down into the thing and do some mm-hmm. searchable questions like that. Yeah. I like it. So Hector, do you want to take the next email? Yeah, sure. This is from uh, judge Stefan. Uh, this is, looks like it was in a March. 
Uh, greetings, keepers of the ever-smoldering spell. DCC excels at a lot of things mechanically that make it super unique, but the adventures and their consistent high quality is also one of the main things that keeps people around. For example, Neon Knights has the PCs kidnapped and... Um, in sore sold by a wizard uh it should be hard to make everyone uh it should be hard to make everyone uh is having fun even though their character being uh, mind controlled but this uh adventure makes it easy i can't think of another published adventure that does it as well as neon knights so here's my final question um what are other dcc adventures uh that pull off uh difficult adventure premises or concepts that you've seen done poorly in other non-dcc adventures hmm um well i'll say right off the bat i think dcc published adventures have done a really fantastic job of expressing a very easy to pull off system of like the multiverse you know Mm -hmm. i feel like ad and d tried to codify exactly how the planes work here is where they overlap here is how they overlap this is how this plane relates to this plane and it became so academic and so structured that like it stopped being sexy fun or cool you know we're like with the dcc multiverse and like planar planar travel you see it from the very first mini adventure in the back of the first book in portal under the stars You've got some travel to another plane and Julian has his hands raised and I'm just going to keep talking as excitedly (laughs) as I can until his arm gets so tired. Okay, go ahead, Julian. (laughs) When I'm playing AD&D, it is always sexy, fun, and cool. Are you kidding me? (laughs) I get your point. I get your point, though. And I get that Planescape is something that is beloved by a lot of AD&D players out there. And I'm not saying it's bad. It's I'm just saying, not, uh, it, it's not for me. Not for me. I, you know what? I wanted to love it. I'm sorry. This is completely whatever. But, um, you know, I wanted to love it. And it has some cool art and stuff. But whenever I actually tried to get into it, I'm kind of like, yeah. Sorry. Know. Someone had to have a timer going, right? Yeah. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> for that last night <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh jen and hector do you guys have any uh anything to add to that things that you think dcc adventures do well that other game systems maybe don't do as well being mysterious um especially oh. with with creatures um i've never oh, played yeah. a system where you know it's like it's always vanilla right like you know what you're fighting you know you, you, you have a good a good handle on it but yeah dcc you know you can face something that you have no idea of what it is and i love that yeah. you know let, let me make one comment the the um the railroad the kind of semi-railroady thing that they allude to for neon knights is something i did in gesha the starcons too a little bit and um and, you know, it's kind of a weirdly dick move to start off your adventure by going, oh, and you're just sitting around and then somebody goes and makes you do this thing and you have to get up and do this thing now and you don't really have a choice. Now, and now here you are at the dungeon, mm-hmm. you know, having to do this thing, which is pretty crazy and not really okay in a lot of ways. But um, the the grounding, you know, the firm explicit grounding in Appendix N does make it okay because, I mean – if you read the bleak shore, which is more or less what I was ripping off uh, for the very beginning, I guess, of the Starcons, which mm-hmm. is actually one of my favorite passages in all Appendix N, just in terms of how beautifully it's written and stuff. If you, if, and although the whole story is amazing, 
if you read, but I mean, you know, they don't have any choice. There's no player agency for Favre and the Mouser in that story. And, and, but they go on their thing and they do their thing. You know, it's, you, you have some permission to do that stuff because it's rooted in appendix. You know, if Conan got pressed into doing something, if Fafford did, if and so on, they did, you know, and I think it's on the table. I do have an answer for you, Jeff. Mm-hmm. You don't start in a tavern. Mm. Yeah, and actually that's funny because Clownery in the Twitch channel basically just said the same thing. He just answered with, the best is that DCC is epic starting in level zero. And the very first module that, that you are exposed to when you pick up the book is Portal Under the Stars. And you don't start in a module. You start with poor old man Roberts is dying and this is his dying wish. And tonight is your chance. Go do it. There's yeah. no hemming and hawing. There's no, well, maybe we should look and see if there's any jobs available. And there's no, like, let's, let's clear the tavern basement of giant rats. <laughs> Baldur's Gate has been done. I'm sorry. I, I mean, like in Baldur's Gate 2, 3, and 4. <laughs> oh, Baldur's Gate. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but you, it feels a little railroady to start with, but it also means that you're not wasting anybody's time when you're sitting at the table. Here's your premise. Go. There, There's none of that hesitation of, well, I guess I could go do what they asked. You know, if you don't want to, you can uh, go buy us all lunch or something and come back in an hour and, and then we'll get to it. So, yeah, I, I'll also second the fact that Neon Knights is so awesome that I actually took part of that for my campaign when I was running it and put in like a couple little snippets of that as a uh, plot device. Mm-hmm. And Lilac Mantis would like to point out that Intrigue at the Court of Chaos is another good one where the Mm. PCs get commandeered. Mm. So this has been a fantastic conversation. Mm. There's been a... a, That seems to be an overarching theme in a lot of uh, the adventures, especially lately. You're either getting whisked away somewhere or sent somewhere or the village is under attack. Either way, you are right there in the action, and that is what DCC has been about since day one. Yeah. Okay, plug for Harrison Hunt's The Foreign Beggars. The Intrigue at the Court of Chaos episode is maybe my favorite one of all of them. There's, it's so <laughs> funny. And it's such a great adventure. So the two of them come together is, is so awesome. Cool. So our next email is a very short one from John Williams, and it says, Just finished listening to the hubris episode. Don't have anything to say. Just thought I'd send a love mail. John, we love you too. Um, And this may end up being our last email of the episode, but next up we have one by Judge Fabian. And it says, Hello, judges of Spellburn. I thoroughly enjoyed your episode highlighting the world of hubris and Mike Evans. And then he has like the, the Satan... Uh, um, the the what is it the the what is it called the devil horns, the devil horns hand thing, then the little sunglasses emoji followed by the middle finger emoji. Uh, since Judge okay. yes, <laughs> mm-hmm. since Judge Jen mentioned maybe using some of the classes in hubris in her sci-fi game, I wanted to point out that it's a wonderful idea. Do it. I am currently running a DCC in space game using a mix of classes from MCC, DCC, Crawljammer, and Hubris. 
For instance, one of our players is using the Murder Machine character class for his modified battle droid. Another character is using another player is using the Blood Witch to play an alien humanoid who can morph her body through things and make it even and make lesser creatures from her blood. Aesthetically, it's a lot like the creature from the thing. <laughs> We've been keeping the rules as written, but changing the aesthetic of the character classes. It keeps things simple and it's working like a charm. Anyways, thanks again, judges, for the great episode. Thanks to Mike for being a hilarious guest and for the rich setting and extensive work he did on Hubris. It's an amazing resource to add more grit to any DCC campaign. Cheers, Judge Fabian. So I would love to just say that another thing that I love about kind of the DCC mindset in general is the willingness to reskin things. Mm -hmm. We don't have to reinvent the wheel every time we can take something that's cool and call it something different. And now it's something else really cool. Yeah. Um, As soon as we can get that particular group back together, I would love to run hubris. In the meantime, I'll be playing it in two hours. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, jealous. Perfect. Do you guys have anything you want to add to that email? Mm. I'm excited about what you've done and I would like to subscribe to your zine. Absolutely. (laughs) Agreed. <laughs> Definitely. Cool. Well, guys, I think that's our episode then. Yeah. Yeah, we're about there. Epicam1981 says, love to the stream, guys. Thanks, Epicam. I'm we enjoyed doing this. <laughs> and maybe, it'll, maybe it'll be a thing. Maybe it could be a thing. And I, I just want to thank you <laughs> immensely for um, having me on and my and my tired ass. So um, I really appreciate it. <laughs> thank you, Hector. <laughs> well, also, because you sent me an email at like something like 2 a.m. my time, which means that was like, oh, I don't know, but 11. whatever. You, yeah, you, for him. Oh, yeah. Okay. Never mind. Never mind. Yeah. I was like, that means you probably didn't get much sleep, but that's still a full night's sleep. Ignore me. My, I'm doing my math backwards. I got <laughs> okay amount of sleep. Uh, yeah. This has been really fun, guys. Um, so if you are listening and you want to check us out, um, there's spellburn.com. You can follow us on Twitter. You can um, chat with a lot of us on MeWe or head on over to the DCC Rocks Facebook group. There's um, the new youme.social. Mm-hmm. It, has oh. a very, it has a very G plus interface. I need to get on Ooh. that. Ooh, I'm going to put a link. So I'm gonna put a I'm putting a link in the show notes to that. Whatever yeah. it is, I'm going to find it and put a link up there. Find playtesters on there. Ooh, yeah. Right, right. Does DCC have an official page on there or not official? But like mm. is there like a DCC page group, whatever on there? Give me an hour. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Um, other than that, uh, if you want to send us an email, uh, you can email us at the band at spellburn.com. We would love to see more emails from you. And uh, Clownery says greetings from Germany and Perioptic JG says great episode. So yes, greetings from uh, Cleveland and Minneapolis and Florida and Seattle. Uh, guys, this has been guys and gals and everything in between. This has been a blast. Um, and with that, game on. You've been listening to Spellburn, copyright 2017. Our theme song has been graciously provided by Glitter Wizard. Learn more at glitterwizard.bandcamp.com.
Okay, so Burn I'm going to go ahead <laughs> and stop the stream. Holy crap.